0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you once again for your Word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we don't have to ask you to be here. You're already here but we do pray that you help us to be sensitive to your holy spirit help us to receive whatever it is you want us to receive from your word and from the work you desire to do within us lord and through us lord if there's anything in our hearts that doesn't belong there reveal it to us that we may confess it and we thank you that you are such a forgiving god and you are a god who cleanses us from all unrighteousness so also we pray for the discouraged that they will be encouraged we Pray for people who maybe they've been praying for something and, and, and I pray that tonight would be that night they receive the answer to that prayer and that you would make it plain. And I do, Father, pray for the gift of teaching, the, the ability to rightly divide your word of truth and a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I love you. We, I thank you, Lord. And um, just once again, thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So we are in 1 Samuel chapter 25, and the title of the lesson is Save Me from Me. Save Me from Me. So, in tonight's lesson or message, we're going to see the death of one man of God, and then we'll continue to examine the events in the life of another man of God. And that man, of course, is David. And, and as we look at the life or these events in the life of David, we're going to pick up some lessons and hopefully learn some lessons that's going to help us, of course, if we apply them to reach our full potential in Christ. That is on this side of eternity, on this side of eternity, of eternity we want to reach our full potential in Christ. And, and that, of course, is the overall theme of our studies in the book of 1 Samuel Reaching our full potential in Christ. And so pray about being open to and receiving uh, whatever spiritual nuggets that will come from this lesson. Because we want to be all that God wants us to be. We want to do all that he wants us to do. And so I will give you one hint. And that one hint about tonight's lesson or message is to be prepared to be challenged. Because all of us are going to be challenged tonight. And that's one of the things that the word of God does. And so we want to be receptive of that. And so let's jump right into 1 Samuel 25 and look at verse 1. And it says, Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together, and they lamented or mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness, Or desert of Paran now some early Greek copies say Mayan instead of Paran and so what we see here right off the bat is that Samuel's job is finished Samuel was a prophet and he was also the last of the judges of Israel and so his death essentially brought an end to the period of the judges or you can call them defenders or deliverers But Samuel, of course, instead of being more of a military deliverer, he was he he was more of a spiritual deliverer during his days. And so as he passed away and now he's off the scene, the nation of Israel is now only a monarchy. So now you only have a king, King Saul during his time. And just to take something from this part of the study, this short part of the study, I just want to share with you or remind some of you that one day our job on this side of eternity or heaven will be finished. Just like Samuel's job was eventually finished. But the question that I want to pose to all of us tonight is how will we finish? See, in 2 Timothy, verse 4, verse 7, you know, the apostle Paul said this as the time drew near for his execution. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, I wonder tonight, are we fighting the good fight? The fight that God wants us to be involved in and we're talking about spiritually. Are we running the race that God called us to run? And are we faithful in doing that? Are you keeping the faith? Are you keeping your eyes spiritually on Jesus? So that we can finish well like Samuel, so that we can finish well like the Apostle Paul, as we see here in 2 Timothy 4.7. And the scriptures continue in 1 Samuel 25. Now, there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. Now, now Maon, by the way, was a city of Judah the, in the southern part of Israel, and it was located Um, Eight miles south of Hebron. And this Carmel that we're talking about is south of Hebron as well. And so this is the Carmel of Judah that's being spoken of here in that first part of verse 2. But it says, speaking of this man, it says that he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. He was cutting the wool off his sheep. And the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife Abigail and she was a woman of good understanding this this woman Abigail she was smart she was sensible or intelligent as we'll see later in the message tonight and she was she had a beautiful appearance but the man Nabal her husband was cruel he was harsh he was evil in his doings in verse three and he was of the house of Caleb and I said that this man would come from Caleb because if you know Caleb During the time of Joshua, Caleb was from the tribe of Judah and Caleb was a man of faith because while the other spies who had spied out the land of Canaan came back with a bad report, a a report that caused fear in the people of Israel, Because of the giants in the land, Joshua and Caleb was like, no, we can take them. Our God will give this land to us. And so Caleb has a descendant here by the name of Nabal, who was harsh and rude and evil. And so this man is forever etched in scripture, speaking of Nabal as harsh and evil. The question tonight, another question is, how do you want to be remembered? It may be that one day we'll be having your memorial service or I might be having one soon unless the Lord comes first. Who knows? We don't know what's going to come tomorrow. But how do you want to be remembered? Like Nabal? Or do you want to be remembered in a positive light? Remembered as a person. As a person who trusted in Jesus from beginning to end. And in verse 4 of this chapter in 25, it says, Now when David heard in the wilderness or this desert that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent 10 young men. And David said to the young man, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And, And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house and peace to all that you have. Now, I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us and we did not hurt them. We didn't harass them, nor was there anything missing from them. All the while they were in Carmel, ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes for we come on a feast day. So uh, by mentioning they. That the fact that they're coming on the feast day means that this is a time where people would normally be generous. So they were hoping that this man, this rich man, Nabal, would be generous and give to them whatever comes into his hand to his servants and to your son, David. Of course, he's not his literal son, David. So in verse 9, it says, so when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David or on David's behalf. And, And they waited. They waited for Nabal to respond. And then Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David and who is the son of Jesse? And so this was, he was saying this in a disrespectful way. And he says, there are many servants or slaves nowadays who break away each one from his master. And he says, shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men? I don't know where they are from. And so here in that statement in verse 11, Nabal demonstrates this harshness. He demonstrates this evil heart in that very statement. See, we can't afford if we apply this, to ourselves, We cannot afford to be selfish like Nabal because God has been so good to us. And we come to understand, hopefully, that all that we have is by the grace of God. All that we're able to do is by the grace of God. He's been too good to us for us to be selfish. We wouldn't have anything if it weren't for the Lord. So don't be a Nabal. In verse 12, it says, so david's his young men they turned on their heels in other words they retraced their steps and they went back and they came and told david all these words that that nabal said to them and then david said to his men (laughs) he didn't even ask any more questions he said every man gird on his sword now get your sword and so every man, they, they took up his sword and David also took up his sword. And about 400 men went with David and 200 stayed with the supplies. Meantime, in verse 14, or meanwhile, in verse 14, it says, Now one of the young men or servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master. And he reviled him. Nabal screamed at them. He assaulted David's men. And this servant tells Abigail, he says in verse 15, but the men were very good to us and we were not hurt. We were not harassed, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. He says they were a wall to us both by night and day. They were a wall of protection to us. All the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. And now in verse 17, therefore, know and consider what you will do for harm is determined against our master and against all his household or family. For he, Nabal, he's saying this about his own master. He's, he's talking about Abigail's husband to her face. He is such a scoundrel. In other words, he's such a son of Belial. That means that Nabal is a worthless fool, or a worthless man. That's what son of Belial means. And, and no one can speak to this man. And so how the servant described David and his man as a, as a wall to him and the other men who were keeping Nabal's sheep is a portion that I want to focus on because it stands out to me. In that, and that, of course, is found in verse 16. He describes David and his men as a wall of protection to them as they were watching Nabal's sheep. And so first, I want to share with you that God and you many of you know this. So this is just a repetition or repetitive for you. Just a reminder to some of you that God is our ultimate wall of protection. But now in the place of a pastor, one of the pastors on staff, or maybe you're a ministry leader. We have, of course, some responsibilities. We get to partner with God in protecting his people, so to speak. And so we're able to do this, of course, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, we help to protect the flock of God by teaching the flock of God the truth and also pointing out error. And maybe it's something that you're doing and we're saying, you know what? That's not biblical. That's not Something that God will have you to do, approaching them in love, speaking the truth in love. Or it could just be something that people are reading about on social media or people are hearing on the news. That's just totally unbiblical. It's just totally off base. And so we know that, okay, you're going to come in contact uh, with this information. It's false information. It could be false information about Jesus. They, of course, they make blasphemous movies about Jesus. And so we have to correct that. And so these are some of the ways that, that, that we as ministry leaders and, and pastors help protect the sheep or the flock of God. But even, of course, in the physical sense, we put measures in place to physically keep the people of God safe. Especially on this campus. For example, we have a security team. We have certain procedures in place. We even have ministry applications for people to fill out. In fact, they have to wait six months first. Then, then fill out their applications. Then there's background checks. And so we have things in place to even physically protect God's people. Especially the children. Literal little children. And then we could also... Turn to the home when we talk about being a wall of protection, partnering with God in this role, because in the home, as fathers we we of course are to be the spiritual leaders and the protectors and so as as husbands, if you 're married, are we protecting our families both physically and most of all spiritually as parents as as fathers, what are we allowing into our homes that's causing disruption into our families? Who are we allowing to live with us? And, and maybe they're not our children. Maybe there's just you know, some you know, maybe relative outside of our immediate family that we're allowing to live with us. Or a friend we're allowing to live with us and they refuse to live by the biblical standards of our households. But we have to protect our family. We have to protect our children, our wives. And if that person doesn't shape up and get with the program within our household, then they have to find somewhere else to live. We we have to protect our home. So what are we allowing into our homes? What disruptions are we allowing into our families, even through the television? What are we allowing our children to watch? That's affecting maybe their theology. We have to think about these things in in verse 18 as you meditate on that. I can't stay there the whole time. But in verse 18, it says, Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins or leather bags of wine, five sheep already dressed or prepared for roasting, five sias or you could say a, a bushel of roasted grain. She took 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs, and she loaded them on donkeys. And in verse 19, and she said to her servants, go on before me, see, I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And so it was that she rode on the donkey that she went down under the cover of the hill. So in other words, she went down this mountain pass that was hidden from view. And there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. And now David had said, now, of course, he's probably rehearsing this probably before he met up with Abigail. And so he's already rehearsed this. He says, surely in vain. I, did, I, I protected this man for nothing. I protected uh, his servants for nothing. Those that were watching his sheep, we protected them for nothing while they were in the wilderness. Nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. He's clenching his teeth. I can imagine Clenching his fist, I can imagine, and his sword, gripping his sword, I can imagine. And and this man, he repaid me evil for good. And he says, may God do so and more also to the enemies of David. If I leave alive one male of all who belong to him by morning light. So we see Nabal's wife here. In these verses, in verses 18 through 22, we see that she stepped in to try to clean up the mess that Nabal, her husband, made with David and his men. See, David, of course, is the anointed king at this point. He hasn't assumed the throne. He hasn't taken over the throne yet, but he is the anointed king. And so essentially, Nabal made a mess with the anointed king of Israel and his men. Abigail is cleaning up his mess or she's about to. And of course there's some women who are married and they literally step in and clean the literal mess of some men. So a lot of wives are used to this cleaning up literal, the the laundry and, and the dishes that some of us men we, we leave behind. But to take it further Sometimes our wives, they, guess what? They, they, they go and meet with the king, that is the king with the capital K, Jesus Christ, during times that we're not aware of. In other words, they go and meet with the king in prayer at times that we're not aware of, just like Abigail is meeting with the anointed king, David, during his time in order to clean up his mess. And so our wives in prayer, they go to the king of kings at times to clean up the mess that some husbands make. Some emotional and spiritual messes that that some husbands make in the household and the wives are going in their secret places and they're going to pray to the king in, in secret. Lord, help my family. Lord, Lord, I pray for my husband and, and that's a good, very good thing to do. Instead of sharing, you know, how bad your husband is with the whole world. How about going to the king? And addressing it and allowing the king to help your husband. And so I want to take this moment to thank the Lord for godly and praying wives. See, in verse 23, as we continue. It says, now, when Abigail, this godly woman, she saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey. She fell on her face before David and and she bowed down to the ground. Of course, she did this in respect. And so she fell at his feet and said, on me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. In other words, she's saying the guilt is mine. Don't blame Nabal, blame me. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and and hear the words of your maidservant. She's saying to David, and please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. That's what she says about her husband. For as his name is, so is he. She says, Nabal is his name and folly is with him. So why does she mention that? That's because Nabal literally means fool, F-O-O-L. And folly or foolishness is with him. And so his actions match his name. And she says, but I, your maidservant, did not see the young men my lord, uh, of my Lord whom you sent. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand. Now, then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal, the fool, in other words. In verse 27, and now this present, remember all those things she took and put on that donkey? She says, and now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young man who follow my Lord or who follow you. And please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord, speaking of David, an enduring house. Because my Lord, speaking once again of David, he fights the battles of the Lord, of Yahweh, and and evil is not found in you throughout your days. And she says, yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. Of course, that man is King Saul, who's been chasing and trying to kill David and she says but the life of my lord shall be bound the life of you david shall be bound or tucked safely in the bundle of the living with or in the care of the lord your god and the lives of your enemies he shall sling he shall sling out or hurl out as from the pocket of a sling that's almost like a reminder of the fact that that david used a sling And one stone to kill Goliath. And in verse 30, she says, And it shall come to pass when when the Lord has done for my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief or remorse to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord. So in other words, you won't have a troubled conscience, either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. So in other words, he says, you, if you take this, this, this gift that I'm giving to you, if you take or accept my apology, if you listen to, to my advice and, and not avenge yourself, then you won't have any remorse you won't have a troubled conscience when you do assume the throne of Israel. And so this is, these are some wise words coming from a wise woman, this intelligent woman. But, but there's something that she said here that I want to focus on. And it's in verse 29. Because there she mentions that David's life shall be bound in the bundle of the living With the Lord your God. Now, to help us with that metaphor, I want you to consider the fact that that things that are of value, things that are valuable to you, they are normally collected or kept together. In other words, they're normally bundled together, things that are of value to you. For example, we will bundle, so to speak, our all of our keys on one ring one key ring and we would keep our ID and our various cards, credit cards and debit cards. We would keep all of those or bundle those, if you will, in the same wallet. And so the things that we value, we will bundle together. And so that's why what she said about David being tucked safely in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord, your God, that's why that stands out to me. That means that David, like the other saints, it is of value to the Lord and he's going to be kept in the in the safety of the Lord. And this translates to the life of the believer, because as a believer, as a person who puts their trust in Jesus Christ and the Jesus Christ of the Bible, our lives are safe with him. In other words, we, we are in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord. We, we are safe with him. In other words, God has us. We're safe with the Lord. In fact, in First uh, Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 5, and this is in the New Living Translation, it says, And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Wait a minute, Pastor Durrell, I I, I thought you said the moment we repent and put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we're saved. Yes, yes, we are saved positionally. First off, we're saved positionally. It's called justification. We're no longer guilty in the sight of God. Everything written against us has been wiped out. When he sees us, he sees us as holy. He sees us as righteous the moment we repent and put our faith in God, in Christ. And that's even before doing any good works. That's how he sees us. We are saved positionally. But then we are going through a process of salvation called sanctification. In other words, we are being saved from the power of sin daily as we continue to surrender. And we see that theme surrender in one of the songs tonight. As we continue to surrender or yield to the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be in that process, be successful, so to speak, in that process of being saved from the power of sin. So we're saved positionally. Now we are being saved by experience as so we go through that process, we become more like Jesus and less like the old us. But then here we see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, this is talking about the final stage of salvation, which is glorification. We are not at glorification yet because we're still in these non-glorified bodies. And so this is talking about that final stage of salvation. And so through our faith, God is protecting you. He has you in his bundle, so to speak, by what? By his power until you receive that final stage of salvation. In other words, glorification, and you receive your glorified bodies. And guess what? At the the rapture, you're going to immediately receive your glorified bodies. After the tribulation period, when Jesus comes back and you come back with him, we're going to come back and glorify bodies. And we're going to rule, like I said, and reign with him for a thousand years, literally on this earth. And the headquarters, of course, is going to be in Jerusalem. And so there's many scriptures about that. And, and the Jews, they, were, they, were, they, they knew that scripture. They knew about Jesus coming back and reigning And so that's why even his disciples, they were expecting him the first time to to get rid of the Romans and take over right now and reign and, and, and rule. But they missed the scriptures about the suffering servant, which talked about his first coming. So the first coming, of course, he came as a lamb going to the slaughtering. So he dealt with the sin issue so that he can come back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. But before then, of course, the rapture needs to take place, which nothing needs to happen for that to take place. And so in verse 32, it says, Then David said to Abigail, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice or wisdom. And blessed are you, David is saying to Abigail, because you've kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to me, surely by morning light, no males would have been left to Nabal. And so David received from her hand what she had brought to him. And he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your your voice and I respected your person. I've granted your requests. And so this David, although he was anointed as king and although he was a great warrior, he listened to this woman's advice, this wise woman's advice. And so it took humility. It, it took him not being overcome with emotion. It, it took him using discernment in order to go along with her godly advice. And so the takeaway for us is to not be a know-it-all. Don't be a know-it-all. Don't be proud. Don't be so full of pride that, that, or, or so full of even emotions that you won't receive godly advice. Proverbs, Proverbs 17, this, this book of wisdom in the Bible, in the Old Testament. In verse 10, it says, rebuke is more effective for a wise man than for a hundred blows on a fool. Rebuke. So when somebody comes to a wise person and they say, hey, what you're about to do is wrong or what you're doing is wrong. You're about to take vengeance into your own hands, a subject we dealt with last week. But but let's say that, they, so that somebody says that to you and gives you wise counsel and say, hey, that's wrong. God doesn't want you to take vengeance into your own hands. God does not want you since we're coming up on tax season. God doesn't want you to cheat on your taxes, to lie about how many folks you can claim and all this stuff. Oh, that rebuke is more effective for a person who's wise. You see, the wise person, they're going to receive it and they're going to turn from foolishness. And so it's it's more effective for a wise man to receive rebuke than for a hundred blows on the fool. In verse 36, it says, now Abigail went to Nabal and there he was. He was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him for he was very drunk. Therefore, she told him nothing, little or much until morning light. And so it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal and his wife had told him these things that his heart died within him. I mean, he became like a stone. He became paralyzed. And then it happened after about 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. And so this news of what Abigail um, gave to David and his men. And and the fact that he was almost killed, it actually affected Nabal physically because he just found out, oh, man, I could have been wiped out. And plus, my wife gave all this stuff to this man and his men. And so that affected him to the point where he possibly suffered a stroke or a heart attack. And of course, it says, and after 10 days, the Lord struck him and he died and In verse 39, so when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord. In other words, praise the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach or these insults from the hand of Nabal. And he has kept his servant from retaliating with evil for the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and he proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. And when the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. And then she arose. She bowed her face to the earth and said, here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And in verse 42, so uh, Abigail rose in haste and, and rolled on a donkey attended by five of her maidens or servant girls. And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. And David also took a of Jezreel. And so both of them were his wives. But Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galam. So, wow, what's going on with that, Pastor Durrell? So, So now David lost one wife, Michal, because Saul gave her away to another man, as it says there um, in verse 44. But now David has two wives, Abigail and Ahinoam. And so the scriptures tell us that overall, having multiple spouses, of course, at the same time, it's not in God's plan for marriage. That is not his plan for marriage. God's plan for marriage can be found in the book of Genesis. One genetic male, one genetic female who are supposed to be together for a lifetime. In other words, until death separates them. That's, that, that's God's plan for marriage. But not only that, but God also made it clear that Israel's kings are not to multiply wives. And he hasn't assumed the throne yet, but yet he's still anointed as king. You see there in Deuteronomy 17, 17, it says, Neither shall he, speaking of kings, future kings of Israel, multiply wives for himself, lest lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. So now, why is David called a man after God's own heart, but he had more than one wife? Why is David celebrated, but he had more than one wife? See, this is just one area of David's life. It's not the entire story of his life, first off, but you also see God's grace. But I do want to share this, that the Bible contains the truth about people and situations in the Bible. Even the heroes of the Bible. That the word of God will contain the truth about those heroes. Their victories as well as their failures. And one Or people, I should say, should expect this from the Bible. Because the Bible has claims in it being the word of God. And so, therefore, the word of God is going to tell the truth about everything. But then there's something else to consider. That the Bible has information in it that we will say is prescriptive. And it has information that is descriptive. And so what we see here about David having more than one wife is descriptive. So in other words, God is not condoning it. He's just describing what was really happening. And so it's just descriptive. Just just telling the truth about what, what happened in the life of David. Again, not condoning it. It's not prescriptive. If it were prescriptive, that means that God wants us to do that. And so, of course, the things that are prescriptive is repenting. God wants us to do that. Putting our faith in Christ, that's prescriptive. God wants us to do that. Participating in communion, that's prescriptive. That's one of the ordinances of the church. Those are prescriptive things, things for the church of all time to to go along with. But this is just descriptive. And so we need to. Be able to tell the difference between prescriptive and descriptive when people come to us with these questions. But of course, we didn't get through all of those verses just to talk about that. Because one thing I want to remind you of when it comes to David is that in the past in his life, God saved this man of God from bears. He saved him from lions he saved him, of course, from Goliath, that giant, that Philistine giant. He saved him from being killed in battles. And he even saved him from, uh, from King Saul multiple times because his king wanted to kill him. But in this text, in the study tonight, we saw God save David from someone else. And that someone else that God saved David from tonight was from himself. You see, David was saved from the poor decision of taking vengeance in his own hands upon Nabal. And and like David, we can grow tired of being disrespected. We, We can get tired of being overlooked. We can grow tired of being shortchanged, just like David was. I'm tired of folks chasing me and bad me and my men and so forth. And no, we, we're, about to, we're about to go kill them. And lo, like David, we can have that type of attitude. We grow tired of those things. And that's because we still have a sin nature even after being born again. And then when I talk about sin nature, I, st- I mean that we still have this inclination to sin. And that side of us is going to win, of course. That nature, is, that sin nature is going to win, of course, if we're not surrendered to the Holy Spirit as believers. But yes, some of us. We may grow tired of being underappreciated and we may seek a way to get back at people and some of us we may grow tired of always playing nice while the other party is always playing dirty but Galatians 6 9 tells us it says and let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap in other words you're going to see the rewards of doing good you're going to see the results of doing good if you don't lose heart so I know you're growing tired of being and disrespect it but continue to do good don't get tired of that you're gonna you're gonna reap the reward and at the right time in god's timing but once again just to get back to that god saved david from himself from making this grave mistake of taking vengeance into his own hands upon nabal and his household but god of course can save us From ourselves as well. And so how does God's intervention. In saving us from ourselves look. Well first of all. God can use people to intervene. Because God used that servant of Nabal. To tell Abigail what happened. About how Nabal disrespected David's men. And so God used that servant. And then, of course, God used another person, Abigail, to intervene and give godly advice to David. And so, God can use people to intervene in saving us from ourselves, from making poor decisions. But, of course, God can use natural circumstances. Just crazy circumstances. You may be on the way to somewhere to buy some drugs, but you get stuck in the traffic jam. And so now you, don't, now you don't have time to go buy those drugs. And when you make it back home, you're glad you didn't. You're glad you didn't go to that place that you intended to go to. And God could use natural circumstances like just a tra- traffic jam or car accident whatever. But then also God can intervene in saving us from ourselves by bringing his word to our remembrance. As we're about to change to that station, as we're about to type into that website, as we're about to click on that profile on that Instagram site, whatever it may be. God may bring the word, a certain scripture to our remembrance that will stop us dead in our tracks. So that's another way God can intervene in saving us from ourselves. But of course, he can also do something supernatural that's totally apart from using people and, and natural circumstances. God is amazing that way to save us from ourselves, from making silly and foolish decisions. Now, when God saves us from us, he saves us from, number one, he saves us from future grief, regret, and even a guilty conscience. Because remember what it says in verses 30 and 31. Abigail said to him, and it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord, according to all, um, all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel. He says that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord. So in other words, when you take the throne, David, you won't have a guilty conscience about killing folks because you didn't go through with it. And so when God saves us from us, he saves us from that future grief or regret or that guilty conscience we've had from making that, that sinful and foolish mistake But he also saves us from doing something that we can't take back. You see, David, if he were allowed to go through with killing Nabal and and his household, he wouldn't have been able to take take that back. And many of us, when we say things that hurt people, when we do things that, that hurt people, those are things we cannot take back. And so when he saves us from us, he saves us from doing something that we cannot go back in time and reverse. And so he also saves us from hurting our testimonies. Think about David. Oh, that would have been a black eye upon his kingship. You know, some people would have brought that back to his attention, even though he's forgiven by God. But you know how it is with people. It takes people time to heal, but God forgives. But people, of course, they need time to heal, like I said. And so. And so that would have been a black eye on his kingship as some people would have brought that to his memory. I remember when you wiped out Nabal and and his family, David, it would have hurt his testimony. And so when God saves us from us, he saves us, of course, from hurting our testimonies. When we go to share About how God saved us and what he's doing in our lives. And we began to share with other people that the same Jesus that I serve, I want you to serve him too. I want you to become my brother, my sister in Christ. Well, if you out there living like the world, they're not going to listen to you as much or at all. But when God saves us from us, he saves us also from point number four, from missing out on future praise reports. See, King David was able to praise the Lord in verse 39 because David recognized that God is the one who took vengeance on Nabal. And when David recognized that God took vengeance on Nabal and killed him after those 10 days, David said, Thank you, Lord, that it was in my hand that killed him and you took care of it. And so David did not miss out on his praise report. He didn't miss out on that time of praise, but we can miss out on that When we make foolish decisions. But thank God that the Lord stepped into David's situation here. And didn't allow him to miss out on future praise report. And I pray that that he'll save you from you. So that you will not miss out on your future praise report. And and so tonight I just want to ask you the question. has, Has the Lord ever saved you from you? Has the Lord ever saved you from you as the worship team takes the stage? Now, I remember he saved me from me when I was younger and I wasn't even a believer. But I believe the Lord still intervened in his mercy. Even when I wasn't a believer at the time, I don't know, I was probably maybe 11, 12 years old. In this instance, I'm about to share it with you because... I remember I had a group of friends and we went a few blocks away. I grew up in Los Angeles. We went a few blocks away. And and I remember that I wasn't involved in the conversation, but I remember them talking to this guy about this car. The car was parked in in the parking lot in in this apartment complex. And so all of us, we we said, okay, we, we pushed the car, I don't know, a few blocks, maybe four blocks, whatever it was. We pushed it in front of one of my friend's house on my street. And so I didn't think nothing of it. I'm, I'm, and like I said, I'm about 12 years old. I'm just helping them push the car. And so the next day I get up and, you know, I look out my apartment window and I can see down the street and I see my friends together. And what they're doing is they're, they open up the trunk to the car and it looks like they're about to start working on it. And I look through the window. I'm like, oh, I'm about to go help them. And so I get dressed and everything. I look out the window again and I see some police cars out there. And they had my friends on their knees and in their handcuffs. And so I missed getting caught, being associated with that by just like that, just barely. And so I believe that the Lord in that instance saved me from me. And I just want all of us to remember to thank the Lord for his intervention. As you think about the instances that he saved you from you, thank the Lord for his intervention and and keeping you from doing something that you would have regretted. Thank the Lord for that. Just like David did. Just like he praised the Lord that it wasn't his hands who put Nabal to death, but that the Lord took care of it. Take time to thank the Lord for intervening in your past situation and keeping you or saving you from you. And you see many of us in our prayer time, we're used to praying for protection from outside threats. We're used to praying for protection from car accidents and spiritual attacks from the enemy. But, but I want to challenge you today to add something to your prayer. And what I want you to add to your prayer is, is Lord, save me from me. Lord, Lord, save me, in other words, from the poor decisions that will have a negative effect on my marriage. Lord, Lord, save me from the negative effects from any poor decision that that I could make that that could affect my family, that could affect my job, that could affect the, the, the relationship that I have with my classmates. Lord, save me from me today before I make a poor decision that's going to affect whatever ministry that God has given to me. Lord, save me from me from messing up any opportunities I may have to share the gospel with somebody. Lord, save me from me before I most of all mess up my fellowship or any fellowship That I have with you because your fellowship with the Lord is the most important fellowship that you have. So incorporate that into your prayer. Take on that challenge. Save me. from me. Father, we thank you for those times that you saved us from us. Like you saved David from himself. Lord, we praise you. Only you knows what could have been. Only you know what that would have resulted in in our lives if you had not intervened. If you had not have used that person to knock on that door at the right time. If you had not allowed me to get caught at that stoplight or in traffic. Or save us from us, Lord. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to do all that you called us to do, Lord. And so we ask you to save us from making poor decisions. And those who have made poor decisions and they didn't listen to your guidance and maybe right now, tonight, they're beating themselves up. Oh, yes, they ask you for forgiveness, Lord, but but yet still they're beating themselves up. And they're allowing the enemy to hold that condemnation, that that past mistakes that you've forgiven them of. They're allowing the enemy to hold it over their heads. I pray for that saint tonight. That you would remind them that they are forgiven. That you would remind them, Father, that, that they are in the bundle of those that you are keeping, Lord. Remind them, Lord. That they're safe in you. Remind them, Lord, that the enemy is lying to them. Lord, release that guilt that's really not theirs anymore. May they leave this place more refreshed and may that load be removed. And, Lord, we pray that you bless my brothers and sisters on their way home. Lord, give them traveling grace. Give them them a blessed night of sleep. Prepare them. Use them in a mighty way this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.